0: Okay, let's just pray before we start this morning. God, we thank you for your promise that when your word goes out, it will accomplish what you desire, the purposes that you have intended. And so we ask for that this morning as we look into your word. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our collective hearts will be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I have my helpers this morning to read some scripture. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Leanne Thorfenson, this is my son Mark, this is my other son, no, this is Elliot Skinner, who graciously agreed to help this morning. So we're gonna read in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread.
1: Bring some of the fish you have just caught.
0: So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn.
1: Come and have breakfast.
0: None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating...
1: Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me?
0: Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me?
1: Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go.
0: Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, Follow me. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. I think you can put the microphones down there somewhere. Please, thank you. Well, good morning. So this morning we're gonna look really at the, primarily at the second half of that story. As you know, we're on the other side of Easter, and we're looking at those stories that are on the other side of Jesus' resurrection. So he's around and he's interacting with his disciples, and he's talking to them. And last week we looked at the road to Emmaus, and so now it's this encounter particularly with Peter, with a focus on the encounter that Peter has that you just heard the guys read. And so Peter, uh, in terms of backdrop, Peter has uh, said, I'm going fishing. He's going back to what's familiar, back to what's known. I think they were uh, still, I mean, Jesus is back, but they don't sort of know what's happening. Uh, This is their third encounter with him. Um, And in the spirit of what Doug said last week when he referenced the fact that uh, asking questions was a good thing, I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning, and that's usually how I attack a passage, is to uh, take a moment and just sort of say, hey, what's this about? What what are the questions that that strike me as I read a passage? And so I thought that would be a good place to start this morning. And so these are the questions that came to mind for me as I was reading through the passage. So first of all, why three times? Maybe obvious, maybe not. Why that question? Why the do you love me question? There's lots of other questions Jesus could have asked Peter. Uh, Who are the these? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, huh? What's that? Uh, What's verse 18 and 19 all about? And lastly, follow me. What happens after the follow me part? But before I get into those questions, I want to start by asking you a question. And the question is really, uh, it was going to start like this, it was going to start with have you ever, but uh, it took about eight seconds to get to the place where I should really start with when was the last time that you said something, did something that resulted in a brokenness in a relationship, a rift, some tension, could have been last week at work with a co-worker, could have been in your house this morning trying to get out the door for church. That never happens in our house. (laughs) Um, So when was the last time? And how does that feel? And how does it feel different depending on what it was you said or did, versus, or as well as the person with whom that rift now exists? And there's obviously a difference. If it's a coworker that you really don't interact with very often, you might not really worry too much about it. You can deal with it whenever things come around. But if it's somebody who's close to you, You said something pretty harsh and that person sits across the table from you at breakfast and again at dinner it's a lot harder to just let leave it be Uh, for me i was thinking about this and uh, i told mark i was going to use this example so he was ready for it but a week ago or so mark came home with a midterm report card and like all good parents i paused carefully thought about what i wanted to say carefully crafted the message in my head to commend him and all the good things, and then gently point out the one or two things I wasn't happy about. didn't really go like that. Uh, I didn't handle it very well, and I said some things that I shouldn't have. I didn't exactly couch them nicely. Actually, it was a really good report card, so, uh, but I didn't handle it very well. And I said some things I shouldn't, and of course, that prompted and Mark, not the best response, and now all of a sudden, we've got this thing between us, that tension, and... Uh, we actually resolved it pretty quickly, didn't we, Mark? Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> we both apologized. It really was my fault. But, you know, we do these things and it puts something between us and you need to fix them. And I think, really, uh, that's the backdrop of this story, right, with Peter and Jesus. So they have seen each other since Jesus uh, uh, came back from the dead, but they haven't addressed the thing. And the thing, of course, is his denial of Jesus, his three-time denial, that deep, deep, uh, what I actually refer to as betrayal, because I think that's even a stronger word. So the first question, of course, is, well, why three times? Why does Jesus, we know the story, I'm sure you've all heard this story preached, which makes it even more intimidating to get up and give a talk on a very very familiar passage. It's way easier to teach something nobody reads because nobody's going to contradict you. (laughs) Say I've heard that before right? So um, but why three times? So I think uh, I think the obvious answer is well uh, Peter denied Jesus three times and so uh, Jesus restored him three times. Uh, Which is tricky right? Because then it begs the question so everything I do wrong do I need that one in one restoration? with Jesus to put things right. And, and we know that God's forgiveness doesn't work that way. You know, I was hearkening back to uh, when Elizabeth spoke and she talked a little bit about uh, Peter and how he's impulsive and he desperately wants to get it right and so often gets it wrong. And when he gets it wrong with the denial, it's a pretty deep rift. He didn't just say, yeah, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, I don't know. He denied even knowing him. That's a pretty, pretty deep, uh, vehement denial when he says, not only did I not know him, he swears, he's denying, to him a, denying his knowledge and relationship with Jesus to uh, a fairly, probably insignificant young woman. And so that would have cut pretty deep and it still hangs there. And then there's this incredible verse in Luke 22 which says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And I wonder what that look looked like. I laugh, you think about the looks mothers give us. And we know what they mean, right? You're smiling, right? You know when your mother gives a... (laughs) Mark mocks me, He, he mimics my looks much too easily, which just tells me I use them way too often. But what was the look that Jesus gave to Peter? Was it full of hurt? Anger? Disappointment? Was it, I told you so? Was it uh, dismissal? Was it compassion? But there was a look, and we know that that, I, when I think about that, I wonder if that was um, something that stayed with Peter for a long time as, they, uh, as he just thought back to that betrayal. We know he wept bitterly afterwards and that he realized how far he'd gone. Um, but Jesus' restoration of him three times, I think, was important, not because it was a three for three for Jesus, but I think it was a three for three for Peter. I think because it was such a deep cut and such a deep betrayal, that Jesus knew Peter needed to hear it three times. Do you love me, yes, do you love me, yes, do you love me, yes. And so that restoration that he offers him, that forgiveness that is well and truly beyond anything Peter could have said or done, is offered so freely, you just see so beautifully the incredible and amazing grace of God in offering this forgiveness to Peter. No conditions. And Peter's failure, uh, Jesus wanted Peter to be absolutely certain of the forgiveness and to know that his failure did not disqualify him from future service. It didn't count him out. And Jesus knew it was ahead, too. I mean, he had the inside view, but he did know it was coming, and he knew that Peter needed to be able to hear this, this forgiveness and experience it, that amazing, incredible grace of God. And I think one of the things that struck me is that this is one of the last times that they're going to physically be together, and then Jesus will be gone. And so that physical one-on-one opportunity had to restore Jesus personally, look him in the eye, kind of like the two guys standing here, like look him in the eye and say, communicate his incredible forgiveness. It was really important for Peter. Okay, well, what about uh, that question? He doesn't start with, so, Peter, about the denial. What happened? What were you thinking? Did you not hear my heads up that was what was coming? No, he doesn't do that. Uh, Jesus is actually pretty direct, and he goes straight to the heart straight to the heart with that question. Very penetrating, Go straight to love. Peter, just let's call it out, do you love me? And Jesus knows the answer, it's no surprise, and I know many of you have heard the, the teaching on this, uh, on this particular passage where there's the two kinds of love, right? So there's the agape love, which is that Greek word, and I probably pronounce it incorrectly, but that agape love, that deep, unconditional love of God for us that is self-sacrificial that sent Jesus to the cross. And then there's the filial love, the brotherly love, the kind of day-to-day stuff that we sort of get. And so really what Jesus says, if you look at the original language is, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have that self-sacrificing, unconditional love for me? And Peter answers, I, I, I love you in the brotherly love kind of sense. I get that part. And Jesus says again, do you agape me? And Peter says, I filio you, I filio you, I've got that down. And finally, Jesus kind of meets him partway and says, okay, Peter, do you filio me? And Peter's answer is, Lord, you know, I agape you. He comes right to it. And so I think this is uh, really significant and that Jesus goes straight in. And I think what he's actually asking him is, Peter, are you all in? Are you all in? Once again, I think uh, think Jesus is doing this for Peter. I think Peter needs to hear himself say it out loud, I love you, Jesus, you know that I love you. It's one thing when it's in your head, but to actually say it out loud gives it a strength, gives it some meaning, it it makes it more memorable, it just anchors it, and I think Peter really needed that. He needed to hear himself say out loud how he felt about Jesus. Are you all in? Yes, I'm all in. You know, we do the the filial love pretty well. We get that part. It's the agape love that's harder, self-sacrificial. I think we probably do it more easily for our children than anybody else. Probably appropriate on Mother's Day. But what about you? Are you all in? Peter needed to know and be able to say he was all in. What about us? If Jesus asked you that, how would you answer? loves that incredible motivator that will motivate people to do incredible things, be they for other people or for Jesus. It was a pretty penetrating question, right? And then thirdly, I think, I think this is a milestone moment for Peter. I think this is something that Jesus provided for him to make sure he had something to go back to. You know, we need these. We need these milestone moments. If you think about... Um, Like a marriage, there's a point in time, there's a ceremony, there's a vow that allows us, if you, to folks who get married, to point back to a space in time when that particular event happened, when the going gets rough. You think about the baptisms that happened a couple of weeks ago. A moment in time is marked. Those kids who were baptized, in their head and hearts they had committed to Jesus, but there's something important about declaring it publicly, saying it out loud, marking the moment. Scripture uses the word Ebenezer. It's an idea of a stone being raised in commemoration. But we need these marked moments. People go to school and they get certificates and there's a ceremony and a certificate is awarded. There's a graduation ceremony and a degree is awarded. Last week on Sunday uh, the boys came home after eight weeks of swimming lessons and they came home with the hardware. Mom, I passed my level or two. There's their certificate, there's the I don't know, ribbon thing, and then there was the hardware. They marked that moment. They don't have to go back and revisit that level now. It's done. Now we move forward. And I think we need those points as anchor points, and I think Peter needed that and would need it in the future for all that was ahead for him that he didn't yet know about, but Jesus knew full well what was coming. So I think those points are important. I uh, had one of these moments myself a number of years ago. I was uh, trying to make a career decision, and I used this, uh, a labyrinth. So a labyrinth is a technique that's been used in uh, ancient times as a method of discernment or when you're trying to make a decision. There's actually, uh, uh, there's one down on Guelph Line just south of the QEW. There's a park and there's a labyrinth in there. And it's just a marking on the ground and you follow the path. And the idea is that you come into the labyrinth with a question, or something you're trying to seek God on, for example. And you walk the labyrinth, and the idea is that as you walk, you listen, and you ask God for direction. So I was using this technique to try to make a career decision. And at the time, I was teaching college part-time, and I really wanted to get into the college system to teach full-time. And so that was kind of like... And I, I was a bit of a turning point. I was sort of slowly being approached for a job I didn't really want. and. Uh, and as I was walking on the labyrinth, I felt very clearly God saying to me, Leanne, will you give up the teaching? And I said yes, I mean, it's not somewhat reluctantly and somewhat willingly, but will you give up the teaching? Yes, I will. And uh, on the path was this stick, and I just happened to notice it, and I picked it up. And it was a stick not unlike this one, which I pulled out of my backyard this morning, although this one doesn't quite do it. But it was, a, it was about this big, and it had a broken piece, but it was broken on both sides. And so it actually kind of looked like a cross. And it was just at that sort of moment when I said, yes, I'll give up the teaching, and there it was. And so I picked it up, and it was a little memento that I took home, and I kind of anchored it onto my bulletin board as a reminder. And uh, Part of the reason this came to mind as I was preparing for this sermon today was that a couple of years later, I was back in the labyrinth asking God again, okay, now what? I did have to go do that job I didn't really want, but then God released me from it, which was great. <laughs> and so it was now, what's next? And in the course of that question again of God, so what's next for me in the career dire- direction? What's the next job? God asked me again, Leanne, will you give up the teaching? And it kind of reminded me of Peter's story, and I'm like, uh no offense, Lord, but we've kind of been over this. And the answer is yes, but I think it was for me in retrospect. God wanted to mark that moment again, so I didn't forget. I'd said, yes, I'll give that up, something I really wanted for whatever else he had in store. And I think marking that moment for Peter was really important. Okay, well, who are the these? I'm not going to spend a lot, of, a lot of time on this. Of course, there's lots of debate, Are the... Are the these the fish? Are the these the disciples? Or is it something else? And again, I'm not going to spend a, time, a ton of time on this. I think it's what they represent. So I think for Peter, the fish was his livelihood. It's what he knew. It was familiar, it was comfortable. He could go back to that and, and be in his comfort zone. Uh, disciples, maybe that's representative of family. But in the context of, P- of Jesus, I think really asking him if you're all in, I think it's everything. Do you love me more than these? Jesus says, you know, we've been through a lot. Yes, Peter, these last few days have been pretty rough. um, But we've been together for three years. Do you love me more than all this? Are you all in? And then feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. What's this about? Well, I think this is actually um, a reaffirmation of Peter's calling. He's got a job to do. So for every question... Peter, do you love me? Yes, I got a job for you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, there's some action for you to take. It's not, do you love me? Great, sit back, cool. There's a a calling on him. There's an expectation of action. There's an expectation of of follow-through that he's going to follow up on what Jesus is calling him to. And I love that verse uh, that I recall in uh, Matthew where he says, I tell tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. He's got a job for him. He's got a leadership role ahead. He's got a life of service to other people. And you, again, can debate who the lambs are and who the sheep are, but I think really it's everybody that is going to come across Peter's path. Believers and unbelievers. And I have a role for you, Peter, a leadership role, a life of service in word and deed for the people I'm going to put in your path. And I think it's important that we not uh, try to dis- decide exactly who they, those pe- pe- people are, because I don't think we get to discriminate who we treat well. And just says to him, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He's not really specific. We, don't, we know that Jesus is going to call them to to make disciples of all nations, so I'm not sure it gets to be decided out, but really it's a, it's a job to go out and offer God's grace and forgiveness and the same restoration that Peter had experienced himself to other people. He, he's now gonna know it deeply in his bones. He's marked the moment, and now there's a job to do. You know, we have a calling on our lives, too. Um, I don't know what yours is. I've experienced calling a couple times in my life where God was very clear about something that I was to do, a job I was to do, or a conversation I was to have. It might be as simple and as unsophisticated as a calling to be a real model of Jesus in your home or a light in your workplace. Or maybe there's a relationship he's calling you to nurture and grow and share faith. You know, we're gonna have this, uh, this book club. There's an opportunity, right? A calling, perhaps, to be a witness, a voice to our neighbors or to our coworkers. But I wonder what God's calling you to. Sometimes it's really clear. Maybe God has a divine appointment for you. And I think we need to be tuned in to what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. You know, we're at the place now where we're beginning the search for a lead pastor and I hope that the person that we find that written all over them is a call a calling to pastoral ministry kind of like we see in Doug he's just written all over him you talk to him he was so encouraging in helping me get ready for this talk and he is today uh, in Belfast and was going to go this morning to the church where Robin Mark uh, is a singer songwriter (laughs) worship leader and he promised me he would listen to my talk. I said, really, you don't have to. So I made sure I would mention him so that when he listens, he's paying attention. <laughs> so I, he, will, he will have finished worshiping because it's a few hours ahead. And I just looked to him as, a, as a, an example of someone who's so certain of the calling on his life, a calling to ministry. And that's the kind of person I, I hope we find, I think we need to find for our church. Okay, uh, last, no not, second to last, verse 18 and 19. Well, let's reread these. So very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So verse 19 sheds some light Try to say that quickly. uh, On this, in that it looks to the future, the kind of death Peter would have. And tradition tells us that Peter was actually crucified upside down because he didn't want to copy Jesus. But what else is going on here? And I, I don't know for sure, but I think there's a bit of a metaphor here. I think Jesus knew what was ahead, and I think he wanted to convey to Peter that the cost ahead, the cost of following Jesus for him, was gonna be pretty substantial. He was gonna be out of his comfort zone. He wasn't gonna get to call all the shots. And God was going to take him, Jesus was gonna shoot him into places he wasn't ready for, and it was gonna be unfamiliar and challenging. There's a tough road ahead. There is a cost of obedience. And we have the lovely uh, aspect of our relationship with Jesus was just with the forgiveness that we have and the grace we experience is a source of incredible comfort. And yet we do need to hold that intention with times when we're called out of our comfort zones to do something that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise had on our agenda. Maybe the book will push all of us out of our comfort zones when we look at those in that book club. And so I wonder for you, where might God take you, uh, if you let him, where he might take you out of your comfort zone? And is there any kind of tug on your heart this morning as I'm talking, not from me, but from the Holy Spirit? the Holy Spirit kind of niggling and saying, hey, you know, that thing I've been talking to you about, that person I want you to speak to, that change I want you to make, is there a place where God's leading you out of your comfort zone and you need to listen and say yes, whether it's something that you would have had on your personal agenda or not? Well, finally, follow me. And I love this because uh, this, the story that precedes this restoration really reminds me of one of the earlier encounters that Peter had with Jesus. Remember, they're in Peter's boat, and Jesus says, can you push out a bit from the shore so I can teach? And so he does, and uh, when he's finished teaching, he says to Peter, and, uh, can you just toss your net out here? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah. And so he tosses his net out, and of course there's that huge catch of fish that overwhelms Peter, very much like this story and he's overwhelmed with his, uh, this person who's in front of him, the power of one who could command fish to land in that net, which is mind-boggling when you think about it. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, follow me. And so it's very reminiscent, this, this story has sort of come full circle in that now we're back at the same place. Do you think Peter remembered that? I bet he did. Three years ago? but I bet he remembered, and I bet he remembered that statement that that Jesus made to him, too, about what he had called to him, the moment when he changed his name from Simon to Peter. And then, do you think that Jesus, uh, maybe I'll put it, do you think that Peter internalized all that was happening in this moment, this restoration? I mean, this this is a big deal, right? Like, this is a one-on-one with Jesus. You don't get... I mean, how often do you get a one-on-one with your boss at work? Not very often, maybe. If you're a teacher, does your principal come in and watch you teach? Probably not very often. My boss is in Miami. <laughs> she doesn't see me do much. Trust me a lot, which is good. But um, I have a boss in Toronto, too, so they got me covered two ways, so it's okay. Okay. Uh, It's a pretty uh, important question. Is Peter in the moment, this one on one with Jesus, is he internalizing all this? Is, he, is, he re- is it sinking in? The incredible restoration that Jesus is offering him and the life ahead, the cost of discipleship, but the amazing grace and forgiveness that he can walk forward with. Does he actually take it and run with it? Is my question. Does he actually follow Jesus and do? Does he accept the calling on his life? And I think the answer is yes. So I, I went to Acts just for fun, to say, okay, well, what happens next? Because sometimes we forget that the distance between when Jesus left, i.e. the ascension, and the beginning of Acts, because they're in separate books, we kind of disconnect them. Sometimes there's very little time between them. I mean, it's a matter of days before the disciples are kind of holed up in that room, trying to decide. And it's Peter who says, you know, we need to replace Judas. Peter takes the initiative and says, "We goes through the process. We're gonna." uh, It says one would replace him, and so we need to do that. And so Peter takes the initiative to do that. And then a few days later, it's Pentecost. So the day I looked it up because Google is the source of all information. Uh, The number I said to Tony last night: How many days is it between the Ascension and Pentecost? Ten. So Jesus knew what, it, what was ahead, he's getting Peter ready because Peter's about to be like full on in his, his responsibilities and he better be all in because he's got a lot to do. And if you look in the book of Acts, I kind of just went through my Bible, these are the headings. Acts two, Pentecost, Peter addresses the crowd. Acts three, heals the lame ba- beggar. Peter and John are there. Peter speaks to the onlookers. Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. Acts five is the story of Ananias and Sapphira and it's Peter who addresses their lie. So I think he did. Like I think he heard what Jesus had to say and he said, I'm all in, let's go. We don't hear that, but does he follow Jesus and do all that he's asked? Yeah, I really think he does. I think that's just such a great way to pull that end of that story together. Not only is he all in, but just read a little bit ahead and there it is. So how do we pull this together? I thought uh, perhaps what I would do is take Take these six questions and just reframe them a bit based on the the points I've made for each one and just reframe them into some questions for us. So remember I said at the beginning I would start with some questions and I would just throw lots of questions at you? Just stuff for you to think about. And I would ask you to take one thing away because you can't remember everything. So the first question was, why three times? Jesus meets, met Peter exactly where He needed him to meet him, and he meets us exactly where we need him to meet us, too. And have you fully embraced the forgiveness and restoration of God? Don't hang on to sin. Don't don't live in guilt. Jesus does not call us to that. Don't spend any calories on, on guilt. That's not how we're supposed to live. What about that question and the marking of the moment? Jesus asks that penetrating question of us and marks the moment. Are there things you need to say yes to? Are you all in? What would that look like for you? What's God calling you to? For Peter, it was feeding sheep and lambs and all the people that came in his path, an opportunity to serve God in word and deed. What's God asking you to do? And will you let God take you out of your comfort zone? And what would it look like for you to fully follow Jesus? I don't know. We're all different. We're in different places on the journey. But maybe there's one question here that you'll say, yeah, there's a thing I need to address today. Maybe one thing. So I encourage you to do that. Find one specific that will stay with you. You know, as we turn our attention to the table, this is the picture. It's the full restoration and grace and forgiveness that we're offered in Jesus. And we get to remember this every week because we forget. But the picture is fully here, an opportunity to celebrate again what Jesus did for us in dying, but in rising from the dead and offering us that life that we have that can be so abundant. So just before the ushers come, I just want us to pause, because sometimes there's lots to think about, and just give you a minute, get each of us a minute, just to think and reflect, and then I'll invite the ushers to come forward. So let's just pause.